Chapter Eight A of the Book of the Damned. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Acacia Wood. The Book of the Damned by Charles Fort. Chapter Eight A. I accept that when there are storms, the damnness of excluded, excommunicated things, things that are leprous to the faithful, are brought down from the Super Sargasso Sea, or from what, for convenience, we call the Super Sargasso Sea, which by no means has been taken into full acceptance yet. That things are brought down by storms, just as, from the depths of the sea, things are brought up by storms. To be sure, it is orthodoxy that storms have little, if any, effect below the waves of the ocean, but, of course, only to have an opinion is to be ignorant of, or to disregard a contradiction, or something else, that modifies an opinion out of distinguishability. Simon's Meteorological Magazine, 47-180 That along the coast of New Zealand, in regions not subject to submarine volcanic action, deep-sea fishes are often brought up by storms. Iron and stones that fall from the sky and atmospheric disturbances. There is absolutely no connection between the two phenomena. Simon's Meteorological Magazine the orthodox beliefs is that objects moving at planetary velocity would, upon entering this Earth's atmosphere, be virtually unaffected by hurricanes. Might as well think of a bullet swerved by someone fanning himself. The only trouble with the orthodox reasoning is the usual trouble. It's phantom dominant. It's basing upon a myth. Data we've had, and more will have, of things in the sky having no independent velocity. There are so many storms and so many meteors and meteorites that it would be extraordinary if there were no concurrences. Nevertheless, so many of these concurrences are listed by Professor Baden-Powell, Report of the British Association, 1850-54, that no one notices. See the Report of the British Association, 1860. Other instances. The famous fall of stones at Siena, Italy, 1794, in a violent storm. See Gregg's catalogues, many instances. One that stands out is bright ball of fire and light in a hurricane in England, September 2, 1786. The remarkable datum here is that this phenomenon was visible 40 minutes. That's about 800 times the duration that the Orthodox give to meteors and meteorites. See the annual register, many instances. In Nature, October 25, 1877, and the London Times, October 15, 1877, something that fell in a gale of October 14, 1877, is described as a huge ball of green fire. This phenomenon is described by another correspondent in Nature, 1710, and an account of it by another correspondent was forwarded to Nature by W. F. Denning. There are so many instances that some of us will revolt against the insistence of the faithful that it is only coincidence, and accept that there is connection of the kind called causal. If it is too difficult to think of stones and metallic masses swerved from their courses by storms, if they move at high velocity, we think of low velocity, or of things having no velocity at all, hovering a few miles above this earth, dislodged by storms, and falling luminously. 
but the resistance is so great here and coincidence so insisted described upon in the monthly that we better review. have some more March, instances. March 1886. Air light in a storm on Coast of Greece, England, November 19, 1899. Nature 61-111. Fall of a meteorite in a storm July 7, in a gale, March 3, near Lachine, Quebec. Monthly weather review, July 1883. Same phenomenon noted in Nature 28-319. Meteorite in a whirlwind, Sweden, September 24, 1883. Nature 2915. London Royal Society Proceedings 6276. A triangular cloud that appeared in a storm, December 17, 1852. A red nucleus, about half the apparent diameter of the moon and a long tail, visible thirteen minutes, explosion of the nucleus. Nevertheless, in Science Gossip, NS, 6.65, it is said that, though meteorites have fallen in storms, no connection is supposed to exist between the two phenomena, except by the ignorant peasantry. But some of us peasants have gone through the report of the British Association, 1852. Upon page 239, Dr. Buist, who had never heard of the Supersargasso Sea, says that, though it is difficult to trace connection between the phenomena, three aerolites had fallen in five months in India during thunderstorms in 1851, may have been 1852. For accounts by witnesses, see page 229 of the report. Or, we are on our way to account for thunderstones. It seems to me that, very strikingly here, is borne out the general acceptance that ours is only an intermediate existence, in which there is nothing fundamental or nothing final to take as a positive standard to judge by. Peasants believed in meteorites. Scientists excluded meteorites. Peasants believe in thunderstones. Scientists exclude thunderstones. It is useless to argue that peasants are out in the fields, and that scientists are shut up in laboratories and lecture rooms. We cannot take for a real base that, as to phenomena that which they are more familiar, peasants are more likely to be right than are scientists. A host of biologic and meteorologic fallacies of peasants rises against us. I should say that our existence is like a bridge, except that that comparison is in static terms. But like the Brooklyn Bridge, upon which multitudes of bugs are seeking a fundamental, coming to a girder that seems firm and final, but the girder is built upon supports, a support that seems final, but it is built upon underlying structures. Nothing final can be found in all the bridge, because the bridge itself is not a final thing in itself, but is a relationship between Manhattan and Brooklyn. If our existence is a relationship between the positive absolute and the negative absolute, the quest for finality in it is hopeless. Everything in it must be relative, if the whole is not a whole, but is itself a relation. In the attitude of acceptance, our pseudo-base is, cells of an embryo are in the reptilian era of the embryo. Some cells feel stimuli to take on new appearances. If it be of the design of the whole that the next era be mammalian, those cells that turn mammalian will be sustained against resistance by inertia of all the rest, and will be relatively right, though not finally right, because they too, in time, will have to give way to characters of other eras of higher development. If we are upon the verge of a new era, in which exclusionism must be overthrown, it will avail thee not to call us base-born and frowsy peasants. 
in our crude bucolic way we now offer an outrage upon common sense that we think will some day be an unquestioned commonplace that manufactured objects of stone and iron have fallen from the sky that they have been brought down from a state of suspension in a region of inertness to this earth's attraction by atmospheric disturbances the thunderstone is usually a beautifully polished wedge-shaped piece of greenstone says a writer in the cornhill magazine fifty five seventeen it isn't it's likely to be of almost any kind of stone but we call attention to the skill with which some of them have been made of course this writer says it's all superstition otherwise he'd be one of us crude and simple sons of the soil conventional damnation is that stone implements already on the ground on the ground in the first place are found near where lightning was seen to strike that are supposed by astonished rustics or by intelligence of a low order to have fallen in or with lightning throughout this book we class a great deal of science with bad fiction when is fiction bad cheap low if coincidence is overworked that's one way of deciding but when single writers coincide seldom as overworked we find the excess in the subject at large such a writer as the one of the cornhill magazine tells us vaguely of beliefs of peasants there is no massing of instance after instance after instance here ours will be the method of mass formation conceivably lightning may strike the ground near where there was a wedge-shaped object in the first place again and again and again lightning striking ground near wedge-shaped objects in china lightning striking ground near wedge-shaped object in scotland lightning striking ground near wedge-shaped object in central africa coincidence in france coincidence in java coincidence in south america we grant a great deal but not a tendency to restlessness nevertheless this is the psychotropism of science to all thunderstones said to have fallen luminously as to greenstone it is in the island of jamaica where the notion is general that axes of a hard greenstone fall from the sky during the rains journal of the institute of jamaica two four some other time we shall inquire into this localization of objects of a specific material there of a stone nowhere else to be found in jamaica notes and queries two eight two four in my own tendency to exclude or in the attitude of one peasant or savage who thinks he is not to be classed with other peasants or savages i am not very much impressed with what natives think it would be hard to tell why if the word of a lord kelvin carries no more weight upon a scientific subject than the word of a sitting bull unless it be in agreement with conventional opinion i think it must be because savages have bad table manners however my snobbishness in this respect loosens up somewhat before very widespread beliefs by savages and peasants and the notion of thunderstones is as wide as geography itself the natives of Burma, China, Japan, according to Blinkenberg, Thunder Weapons, page 100, not of course that Blinkenberg accepts one word of it, think that carved stone objects have fallen from the sky because they think they have seen such objects fall from the sky. Such objects are called thunderbolts in these countries. They are called thunderstones in Moravia, Holland, Belgium, France, Cambodia, Sumatra, and Siberia. They are called storm stones in Lausitz, sky arrows in Slavonia, thunder axes in England and Scotland, 
lightning stones in Spain and Portugal, sky axes in Greece, lightning flashes in Brazil, thunder teeth in Ambonia. The belief is as widespread as is belief in ghosts and witches, which only the superstitious deny today. As to beliefs by North American Indians, Tyler gives a list of references, Primitive Culture 2, 237. As to South American Indians, certain stone hatchets are said to have fallen from the heavens. Journal of American Folklore, 17, 203. If you too revolt against coincidence after coincidence after coincidence, but find our interpretation of thunderstones just a little too strong or rich for digestion, we recommend the explanation of one Talius, written in 1649. The naturalists say they are generated in the sky by fulgurous exhalation conglobed in a cloud by the circumfused humor. Of course, the paper in the Cornhill magazine was written with no intention of trying really to investigate this subject, but to deride the notion that workstone objects have ever fallen from the sky. A writer in the American Journal of Science, 121-325, read this paper and thinks it remarkable that any man of ordinary reasoning powers should write a paper to prove that thunderbolts do not exist. I confess that we're a little flattered by that, over and over. It is scarcely necessary to suggest to the intelligent reader that thunderstones are a myth. We contend that there is a misuse of a word here. We admit that only we are intelligent upon this subject, if by intelligence is meant the inquiry of inequilibrium, and that all other intellection is only mechanical reflex. Of course that intelligence too is mechanical, but less orderly and confined, less obviously mechanical, that as an acceptance of ours becomes firmer and firmer established, we pass from the state of intelligence to reflexes and ruts. An odd thing is that intelligence is usually supposed to be credible. It may be in the sense that it is mental activity trying to find out, but it is confession of ignorance. The bees, the theologians, the dogmatic scientists are the intellectual aristocrats. The rest of us are plebeians, not yet graduated to nirvana, or to the instinctive and suave as differentiated from the intelligent and crude. Blinkenberg gives many instances of the superstition of thunderstones, which flourishes only where mentality is in a lamentable state, or universally. In Malacca, Sumatra, and Java, natives say that stone axes have often been found under trees that have been struck by lightning. Blinkenberg does not dispute this, but says it is coincidence that the axes were of course upon the ground in the first place, that the natives jumped to the conclusion that these carved stones had fallen in or with lightning. In Central Africa, it is said that often have wedge-shaped, highly polished objects of stone described as axes been found sticking in trees that have been struck by lightning, or what seemed to be lightning. The natives, rather like the unscientific persons of Memphis, Tennessee, when they saw snakes after a storm, jumped to the conclusion that the axes had not always been sticking in the trees. Livingstone, Last Journal, pages 83, 89, 442, 448, says that he had never heard of stone implements used by natives of Africa. A writer in the report of the Smithsonian Institution, 1877, 308, says that there are a few that they are said by the natives to have fallen in thunderstorms.
as to luminosity it is my lamentable acceptance that bodies falling through this earth's atmosphere if not warmed even often fall with a brilliant light looking like flashes of lightning this matter seems important we'll take it up later with data in prussia two stone axes were found in the trunks of trees one under the bark blinkenberg thunder weapons page one hundred the finders jumped to the conclusion that the axes had fallen there another stone axe or wedge-shaped object of work stone said to have been found in a tree that had been struck by something that looked like lightning thunder weapons page seventy one the finder jumped to the conclusion story told by blinkenberg of a woman who lived near kilsberg in sweden who found a flint near an old willow near her house i emphasize near her house because that means familiar ground the willow had been split by something she jumped cow killed by lightning or by what looked like lightning isle of sark near guernsey the peasant who owned the cow dug up the ground at the spot and found a small greenstone axe blinkenberg says that he jumped to the conclusion that it was this object that had fallen luminously killing the cow reliquary eighteen sixty seven two o eight a flint axe found by a farmer after a severe storm described as a fearful storm by a signal staff which had been split by something i should say that nearness to a signal staff may be considered familiar ground whether he jumped or arrived at the conclusion by a more leisurely process the farmer thought that the flint object had fallen in the storm in this instance we have a lamentable scientist with us it's impossible to have positive difference between orthodoxy and heresy somewhere there must be a merging into each other or an overlapping nevertheless upon such a subject as this it does seem a little shocking in most works upon meteorites the peculiar sulphurous odor of things that fall from the sky is mentioned sir john evans stone implements page fifty seven says with extraordinary reasoning powers if he could never have thought such a thing with ordinary reasoning powers that this flint object proved to have been the bolt by its peculiar smell when broken if it did so prove to be that settles the whole subject if we prove that only one object of work stone has fallen from the sky all piling up of further reports is unnecessary however we have already taken the stand that nothing settles anything that the disputes of ancient greece are no nearer solution now than they were several thousand years ago all because in a positive sense there is nothing to prove or settle or solve our object is to be more nearly real than our opponents wideness is an aspect of the universal we go on widely according to us the fat man is nearer godliness than is the thin man eat drink and approximate to the positive absolute beware of negativeness by which we mean indigestion the vast majority of thunderstones are described as axes but mornier la nature eighteen ninety two two three eighty one tells us of one that was in his possession said to have fallen at guardia algeria contrasting profondement pear-shaped with the angular outlines of ordinary meteorites the conventional explanation that it had been formed as a drop of molten matter from a larger body seems reasonable to me 
but with less agreeableness i note its fall in a thunderstorm the datum that turns the orthodox meteorologist pale with rage or induces a slight elevation of his eyebrows if you mention it to him mornier tells of another thunderstone said to have fallen in north africa mornier too is a little lamentable here he quotes a soldier of experience that such objects fall most frequently in the deserts of africa rather miscellaneous now thunderstone said to have fallen in london april eighteen seventy six weight about eight pounds no particulars as to shape tim's yearbook eighteen seventy seven two forty six thunderstone said to have fallen at cardiff september twenty sixth nineteen sixteen london times september twenty eighth nineteen sixteen according to nature ninety eight ninety five it was coincidence only a lightning flash had been seen stone that fell in a storm near st albans england accepted by the museum of st albans said at the british museum not to be of true meteoritic material nature eighty thirty four london times april twenty sixth eighteen seventy six that april twentieth eighteen seventy six near wolverhampton fell a mass of meteoritic iron during a heavy fall of rain an account of this phenomenon in nature fourteen two seventy two by h s maskeline who accepts it as authentic also see nature thirteen five thirty one for three other instances see the scientific american forty seven one ninety four fifty two eighty three sixty-eight three twenty-five as to wedge-shaped larger than could very well be called an axe nature thirty-three hundred that may twenty-seventh eighteen eighty-four at tisnes norway a meteorite had fallen that the turf was torn up at the spot where the object had been supposed to have fallen that two days later a very peculiar stone was found nearby the description is in shape and size very like the fourth part of a large stilton cheese it is our acceptance that many objects and different substances have been brought down by atmospheric disturbance from what only as a matter of convenience now and until we have more data we call the super sargasso sea however our chief interest is in objects that have been shaped by means similar to human handicraft description of the thunderstones of burma proceedings of the asiatic society of bengal eighteen sixty nine one eighty three said to be of a kind of stone unlike any other found in burma called thunderbolts by the natives i think there's a good deal of meaning in such expressions as unlike any other found in burma but that if they had said anything more definite there would have been unpleasant consequences to writers in the nineteenth century more about the thunderstones of burma in the proceedings of the society of antiquities of london two three ninety seven one of them described as an adze was exhibited by captain duff who wrote that there was no stone like it in its neighbourhood of course it may not be very convincing to say that because a stone is unlike neighbouring stones it had foreign origin also we fear it is a kind of plagiarism we got it from the geologists who demonstrate by this reasoning the foreign origin of erratics we fear we're a little gross and scientific at times but it's my acceptance that a great deal of scientific literature must be read between the lines it's not everyone who has the lamentableness of sir john evans 
just as a great deal of voltaire's meaning was interlinear we suspect that a captain duff merely hints rather than to risk having a professor lawrence smith fly at him and call him a half-insane man whatever captain duff's meaning may have been and whether he smiled like a voltaire when he wrote it captain duff writes of the extremely soft nature of the stone rendering it equally useless as an offensive or defensive weapon story by a correspondent in nature thirty four fifty three of a malay of considerable social standing and one thing about our data is that damned though they be they do so often bring us into awful good company who knew of a tree that had been struck about a month before by something in a thunderstorm he searched among the roots of this tree and found a thunderstone not said whether he jumped or leaped to the conclusion that it had fallen process likely to be more leisurely in tropical countries also i'm afraid his way of reasoning was not very original just so were fragments of the bath furnace meteorite accepted by orthodoxy discovered we shall now have an unusual experience we shall read of some reports of extraordinary circumstances that were investigated by a man of science not of course that they were really investigated by him but that his phenomena occupied a position approximating higher to real investigation than to utter neglect over and over we read of extraordinary occurrences no discussion not even a comment afterwards findable mere mention occasionally burial and damnation the extraordinary and how quickly it is hidden away burial and damnation or the obscurity of the conspicuous we did read of a man who in the matter of snails did travel some distance to assure himself of something that he had suspected in advance and we remember professor hitchcock who had only to smite amherst with the wand of his botanical knowledge and lo two fungi sprung up before night and we did read of dr gray and his thousands of fishes from one pailful of water but these instances stand out more frequently there was no investigation we now have a good many reported occurrences that were investigated of things said to have fallen from the sky we make in the usual scientific way two divisions miscellaneous objects and substances and symmetric objects attributable to beings like human beings subdividing into wedges spheres and disks the journal of the royal meteorologic society fourteen two o seven that july second eighteen sixty six a correspondent to a london newspaper wrote that something had fallen from the sky during a thunderstorm of june thirtieth eighteen sixty six at notting hill mr g t simons of simons meteorologic magazine investigated about as fairly and with about as unprejudiced a mind as anything ever has been investigated he says that the object was nothing but a lump of coal that next door to the home of the correspondent coal had been unloaded the day before with the uncanny wisdom of the stranger upon unfamiliar ground that we have noted before mr simon saw that the coal reported to have fallen from the sky and the coal unloaded more prosaically the day before were identical persons in the neighborhood unable to make this simple identification had bought from the correspondent pieces of the object reported to have fallen from the sky 
as to credulity i know of no limits for it but when it comes to paying out money for credulity oh no standards to judge by of course just the same the trouble with efficiency is that it will merge away into excess with what seems to me to be superabundance of convincingness mr simons then lugs another character into his little comedy that it was all a hoax by a chemist's pupil who had filled a capsule with an explosive and during the storm had thrown the burning mass into the gutter so making an artificial thunderbolt or even shakespeare with all his inartistry did not lug in king lear to make hamlet complete whether i'm lugging in something that has no special meaning myself or not i find that this storm of june thirtieth eighteen sixty six was peculiar it is described in the london times july second eighteen sixty six that during the storm the sky in many places remained partially clear while hail and rain were falling that may have more meaning when we take up the possible extra mundane origin of some hailstones especially if they fall from a cloudless sky mere suggestion not worth much that there may have been falls of extra mundane substances in london june thirtieth eighteen sixty six clinkers said to have fallen during a storm at kilburn july fifth eighteen seventy seven according to the kilburn times july seventh eighteen seventy seven quoted by mr simons a street had been literally strewn during the storm with a mass of clinkers estimated at about two bushels sizes from that of a walnut to that of a man's hand pieces of the clinkers can be seen at the kilburn times office if these clinkers or cinders were refuse from one of the super mercantile constructions from which coke and coal and ashes occasionally fall to this earth or rather to the super sargasso sea from which dislodgment by tempests occurs it is intermediastic to accept that they must merge away somewhere with local phenomena of the scene of precipitation if a red-hot stove should drop from a cloud into broadway someone would find that at about the time of the occurrence a moving van had passed and that the moving men had tired of the stove or something that it had not been really red-hot but it had been rouged instead of blacked by some absent-minded housekeeper compared with some of the scientific explanations that we have encountered there's considerable restraint i think in that one mr simons learned that in the same street he emphasizes that it was a short street there was a fire engine station i had such an impression of him hustling and bustling around at notting hill searching cellars until he found one with newly arrived coal in it ringing doorbells exciting a whole neighborhood calling up to second-story windows stopping people in the streets hotter and hotter on the trail of a wretched impostor of a chemist's pupil after his efficiency at notting hill we'd expect to hear that he went to the station and something like this it is said that clinkers fell in your street at about ten minutes past four o'clock afternoon of july fifth will you look over your records and tell me where your engine was at about ten minutes past four july fifth mr simon says i think that most probably they had been raked out of the steam fire engine june thirtieth eighteen seventy 
June 20th, 1880, it was reported that a thunderstone had struck the house at 180 Oakley Street, Chelsea, falling down the chimney into the kitchen grate. Mr. Simons investigated. He describes the thunderstone as an agglomeration of brick, soot, unburned coal, and cinder. He says that, in his opinion, lightning had flashed down the chimney and had fused some of the brick of it. He does think it remarkable that the lightning did not then scatter the contents of the grate, which were disturbed only as if a heavy body had fallen. If we admit that climbing up the chimney to find out is too rigorous a requirement for a man who may have been large, dignified, and subject to expansions, the only unreasonableness we find in what he says, as judged by our more modern outlook, is, I suppose that no one would suggest that bricks are manufactured in the atmosphere. Sounds a little unreasonable to us, because it is so of the positivistic spirit of former times, when it was not so obvious that the highest incredibility and laughability must merge away with the proper, as a scientific American supplement would say. The preposterous is always interpretable in terms of the proper, with which it must be continuous, or clay-like masses, such as have fallen from the sky, tremendous heat generated by their velocity, they bake. Bricks. We begin to suspect that Mr. Simons exhausted himself at Notting Hill. It's a warning to efficiency fanatics. End of chapter 8a. Recording by Acacia Wood.